Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of your power, of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All of you have made, all you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds all of those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Thank you to the choir. This is the last Sunday the choir is going to be uh, leading us in worship for that. They take a summer break every summer, and uh, so we are very grateful for the choir, for your leadership, and today, wow, you guys were on. That was fabulous. Thank you so much. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's life-giving. We pray, speak to us, Lord. We're listening. With attentive ears, with open hearts and minds, we ask that you would speak and shape our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I have a friend that I really love to have over for dinner. Um, I love him because he's a good friend. He's in Winnipeg, so I can't invite him over to dinner very often. But when we lived in the same town, we would have dinner. And what was so fun is that all dinner long, as we would eat, he couldn't help himself, but he would be going, mmm. Mm. Just, it was this natural, instinctive thing. Oh, that's good. Mm. Just throughout the whole meal, he was delighting in the food that was prepared. And his wife tells me he does this all the time. Um, he was just delighting, and that inner delight came out. When you experience something so good, when you're filled with this sense of awe, or delight. That's an, that's an internal subjective experience. How does it get acted out in your life? Think of a soccer team. No, think of soccer fans. 
They're attending a soccer match, all decked out in their team's colors. They've got the banners with them flying the flags. And when their team scores a goal, how do they express their delight at the appreciate and appreciation for the skill that it has taken to score that goal? I mean, they are jumping around, arms in the air, roaring out with delight. Later on, a song and the whole stadium breaks out as they are just expressing, acting out that joy, the delight they have. Now, gather a bunch of people, dress them up nicely, put them in a church on a Sunday. Tell them the great news of what God is at work doing, how God formed and fashioned this world with beauty and design, and how God, despite our rebellion and our wrecking of this world, God enters into this world and is setting out to turn everything that is broken and bruised and and wrong to turn it right. And he is so committed to that path of renewal and redemption that he entered into the wreckage and the brokenness of this world in his son, Jesus Christ, dying for us so that you and I might know freedom and forgiveness and might participate in this life. Tell people those good news, that good news. And we sing and we say, hallelujah, because that good news can't stay inside. We experience it internally, but it has to get acted out. There's something human in how we're wired up, and certainly in, in our response with, with God, it, it needs to get expressed. We praise, we express all that we take great delight and awe in. And it is what we are made for, it is what we are meant for. We have been exploring worship these past number of weeks, and we're ending that series today by focusing in on this, this reality called praise. Praise is, is what all of human history is headed towards. It is what all of our living is for. It is what we are meant for. And so we, we need to ask, how might we offer to God a more... How might we enter into the fullness of this reality of praise? How might we offer to God a more profound hallelujah? This is what we want to look at today as we explore this reality of praise. And throughout Scripture, Scripture constantly connects that sense of delight, that sense of enjoyment, that sense of awe with the language of praise. Praise to God throughout scriptures is the highest expression of our delight in God. C.S. Lewis has read his Bible and, and seen this pattern too, but sees it also just in human life, everyday life. He says this, I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers praising their favorite poet, walkers, praising the countryside, players, praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, cars, horses, colleges, countries, historical persons, children, flowers, mountains. I had not noticed, he says, how the humblest and at times the most balanced minds praise the most. In commanding us to praise him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. 
our praise to God is enjoying God as much as a stadium filled of soccer fans is enjoying hooting and hollering and enjoying the game and the victory they're saving. And yet sometimes our capacity for praise can be limited. Our, our muscles for delight and awe can atrophy because we get out of practice sometimes. Certainly at an emotional level, you know, our emotional register can sometimes be a little subdued. But even, I think, how we think about or how we talk in our praise of God, it, it can at times get limited. Our way, one way our praise gets limited or restrained is how we might limit what we consider praiseworthy of God. Certainly there is so much of God that is praiseworthy, but think of some, some of our favorite songs or maybe re review your prayers and, and think about, okay, what are the things I'm praising God for? What I find is that we, we sort of narrow down to maybe three, four attributes, qualities, aspects of who God is. God is loving. Yeah, we're good on that one. God is great. Yes. He's a creator God. We enjoy creation. Yes. He forgives. Yes. But isn't there so much more to God? So much more that can fill our praises? Won't our delight in God, our enjoyment of God, our praise be expanded, the more we're able to see and name and delight Him? Or think about our effective range, our emotional register. Do we need to expand our capacity to be moved in worship? Jonathan Edwards, who was this great theologian, Puritan, a brilliant mind, he was a deep thinker, but talked often about the affections of our heart. And he says the affections of our heart are that core part of our being that orients our mind and our will and our emotions towards a certain thing, an object or a person. Sin, of course, has caused our affections to move away from God. And so we worship other things, relationships or achievements or work, everything but God. But in our praise, as we gather in church, as we practice, we pull our heart's affection off all those other things and we direct them on God. We place them again on God. In praise, we, we consider God, who he is, what he's done for us. We allow ourselves also to be moved by it. It's, it's treasuring God, pondering the, the worth of who God is and what he's done. And then in response, we give to him what he's worth. It's not just naming qualities of God. You know, God, I praise you for who you are. Um, and then we move on. Like during your sports match, you know, does the home, when the home team scores, does the fan say, yes, we salute you, we celebrate for what you have done for us, and then move on. Uh, that feels a little wanting, doesn't it? It's sort of like saying to God, oh, he's got a good personality. Uh, instead of being moved to, to the depths of your being by the beauty of who God is. What we need is an expanded capacity for praise, and there's good help. And Psalm 145 uh, provides us, at the very end of the whole book of the Psalms, there is this cavalcade of praise. Psalm 145 actually ends 
the book of the Psalms with five successive Psalms that are like fireworks bursting off one after the other. One boom of praise after another going on. And Psalm 145 shows it, ushers us into this one big hallelujah. And uh, in, in Psalm 145, we're going to explore that, uh, some of the, which helps us think through some of the reasons for our praise of God. And then right at the end, we're going to talk about some of the acts. We're going to try to expand our acts of praise. So, but first, Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is literally the ABCs of praise, because quite literally, it schools us in praise, because it is, in Hebrew, an acrostic form. Now, an acrostic form is where they take the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So verse 1 starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, an aleph or an A. And then the first word, and then it goes into the praise. And the second verse is another, uh, the second letter, B. And the third letter is a C. Uh, so it literally goes through the whole Hebrew alphabet, articulating all the reasons for which God is praiseworthy. It is the A to Z with every letter of the alphabet spelling out in clear terms a God who is worthy of all our praise and honor, a God who we can freely praise, a God who we cannot not praise. The very first and last verses of the Psalms talk about expressing our joy, our, our delight in praise to God. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Let every creature Praise his name forever and ever. Forever and ever, I'm going to praise you, God. How do we do that? You want a picture of praise? Imagine the impossible for a moment. The Leafs have won the Stanley Cup. And the whole city, can you imagine? Just think of it, the whole city. I mean, just after how many years? Breaking out with joy and celebration. Strangers on the street, high-fiving, hugging each other, celebrating together. Now take that picture, multiply it exponentially, and stretch that out even further. And that is the delight and the joy and the praise that we are meant for and that we are headed for. This is how human life and human history will end in that sort of joy and delight and party. Every tear will be wiped away and there will be a burst of praise and all God's people will give him glory. And Revelation pictures that, talks about it, where it says this, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and honor, and strength, and wisdom, glory, and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. That is the goal we are moving towards. And all our praise practicing that, getting ready for that, for that end for which we are made. Our praise is, is actually our participation in that end goal right now. And Psalm 145 gives us a picture of that, gives us a variety of different ways to understand the God of whom we worship. 
The writer of the psalm is saying the God of this world, he's wired everything up for his glory and his praise, including you and me. For instance, 16 different times in this psalm, all or every is used. The writer is including everything, you and I, all of creation. There is nothing excluded in this because everything is created for that praise of God. The entire world is like a huge theater for the glory of God. And, and we are part of this too. Every Sunday, we're trying to participate in that, to give expression to that. And the, the psalm outlines a number of beautiful, different ways that we can praise God. It spells out what God is like. Verse 3 to 7 shouts out God's goodness, His greatness. Look at who God is, the psalmist is saying. His greatness, no one can fathom. You see that in, in God's wonderful works. You see this powerful, great capacity of God in his work. He uses his greatness, his muscle, his ability to bless, to heal, to care for us. And then in verses 8 through 13 of the psalm, the psalmist is jumping out with more praise to God because of God's tender love. So God is the great king. He's not a tyrant. He's powerful, but he doesn't use that power to abuse or to... to keep people oppressed. You see a whole different side of God now that calls for our praises. God has the muscle of greatness to rule our world, but he does it with this tenderness, with compassion. God is patient. He's good. He treats everyone with a tender heart, and that kindness calls out. It just draws out our praise. This is who God is. He's so kind. And then in verses 14 through 20, the, the psalmist again is lost in praise of who God is, this time in awe of how God acts. God stands with the weak. God is a just God. He lifts up those who fall. He doesn't play favorites. He satisfies the desires of every living thing. He doesn't exclude anyone from the table of his goodness. God is near to everyone, not just the privileged, not those in, who are close to the powerful, but he, he hears all. He saves. Psalms is praising this righteousness, the way God rightly, justly acts in the world. All these actions focusing on God who helps and those who look to God for help. And so we see this caring, loving, attentive God, one who constantly provides good things. This is the God that this psalm spells out for us. And I wonder if we need to continually expand our understanding, our inventory of all the reasons we have for God. I wonder if we sometimes kept our distance from God because we don't, we don't understand him fully. We don't know all these qualities of who he is. Uh, so many people I, I get to interact with sometimes avoid church, Christianity, because they have a misconception of who God is. You know, he's some ogre. He's some sort of cosmic killjoy. They think God is this moral accountant. You know, as soon as you do something wrong, boom, God nails you for it. He's going to call you to account for this. Look at the qualities of God here. This is a God worthy of your heart's love and devotion. This is a God who you can lose yourself in wonder and awe. And so I encourage you today, maybe later this week, would you go through the English alphabet? And would you compose your own acrostic? Do your own A to Z of all the reasons there are for you to praise and adore and love God. A, start with A. God, you are more than able. 
You are able. You are more than able to do all that we ask or imagine far more. You raise up leaders, God. You take them down in the blink of eye. You're able to heal. You're able to do far more than we can imagine. Move on to be. God, you are beautiful. Or whatever quality you might fill in with that B. C, God, you are creative. Take that whole alphabet and just spell out all the reasons you have for praising and adoring God. But what I want to do with the rest of today's message is just explore a few ways that we might expand the acts of our praise so that we might enter into a more profound, more full praise of God. Part of that is expanding the reasons we have, understanding more and more who God is. But also, I think we can actually act ourselves into praise in important ways. It's interesting, throughout the Psalms, even in this Psalm that we read, there are a number of Hebrew words that sometimes get translated as just praise, but actually convey a different sense of action. And these different responses help expand our praise so that we might offer God a more lovely praise and delight. And what I'm so struck by, these different words that are in the Psalms, are they are embodied actions. Praise and worship, it always begins inside. Our hearts are warmed, our minds are expanded as we consider God, but that, that gets embodied in a response. John Calvin, not a person you would say given to emotional excesses, Calvin talks about this. He says, talks about the necessity of an outward profession of godliness. He's saying, you know what? Your body needs to get in on the action. Certainly it starts in your heart, but it needs to be acted out. He, taught, he teaches then about how our bodies actually lead our hearts in worship. He says, why do people lift their hands when they pray? Is it not that their hearts might be raised to God at the same time? They say in the Psalms, train us in that embodied acts of worship. For example, right in the Psalm 145, verse 4, it says, one generation commends your works to another. They might tell of your mighty acts. The word is actually to shout, to, to speak out in a loud tone, to address in a loud tone. And another place, Psalm 63, because of your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. My lips will glorify you. That word, same word, shout. Psalm 100, says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. And then later on, it says, all the earth, right? Shout to joy, all the earth. Everyone, all the earth. Not just you who are expressive type of people. All of you. Not just shout for joy, you Pentecostal type people. No, all people. I think the Holy Spirit put that in for some of us here today. All of you. Now, some of you might say, oh, man, that doesn't feel like my style, uh, not my background. I think the text here is pretty emphatic. Uh, it commands us to make this joyful noise to the Lord, a shout of praise, come to God, praise him as the only living God. And there's another word, actually, in our Bibles that, that sort of connects with this one. It's a, it's a word from halal, and we get our word hallelujah from that word. And it again it has this sense of loudness, a, a, a clamorous celebration, a boast. 
Psalm 149, verse 3, let them praise, hello, his name in the dance. Let them sing praises with timbrel and harp. When was the last time you praised God with a clamorous praise? Maybe it's time. We're going to shout, I think, okay? We're going to do it today, right now. I need you to shout. We're going to say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We're going to do it three times because I know we need to get worked up in this, all right? So, clear your voice. Okay? Clear it out. Get those vocal cords ready. And on the count of three, we're going to do it three times. We're going to shout, hallelujah, praise the Lord, three times, all right? And shout. Okay, give it your your loudest voice. Let her rip. One, two, three. Hallelujah, (laughs) praise the Lord. And again, hallelujah, praise the Lord. One more time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. Well done. That's praising God. There's another word for praise. There's a cluster of words. <laughs> well done. There's a, another cluster of, of words that talk about another act of praise. And it is... Uh, the Hebrew words are yada, toda. It's about showing reverence or praise with our hands, strangely enough. Again, another embodied act of praise. The, there, there's a couple of pictures or word images behind that. It is often of, of shooting an arrow. So think of a hand that gets extended when you shoot an arrow or throwing a rock. Think of your hand. That, that, that's the picture of this extended hand. Um, Psalm 42, verse 5 has that. Or at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 7, the Levites are blowing the trumpets and calling everyone in worship to praise. And that word is for the, the, that extension of hands. You can just imagine all people extending their hands. And again, this is not an abnormal thing, right? When you are watching a hockey game and your team scores, the most natural thing is what does everyone do? Yes, right? Hands up. We do this. Think of a toddler for a minute who wants to be picked up. Their hands are up. It's, it's an it's a embodied act of dependency, but it's also embodied act of a cry for intimacy. Hold me close. There's a few others of these. Uh, maybe we'll include some more in our home church study, but one final one, and it's, it's a more quiet or reverential one. It's a word that sometimes gets translated again as praise, but it's kneeling. Again, it's a very embodied act. I'm just struck by how all of these engage our bodies, but this time an act of reverence, an act of humility. Praise can be exuberant. It can be a shout, but it can be quiet. And this word means to kneel, to bless God is an act of adoration, to bow down in a worshipful attitude. Psalm 95 or 6, it says, oh, come, let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And again, our friend John Calvin talked about this bodily act of worship. And he says, kneeling in a time of prayer or praise is a token of humility which has a double benefit for us, he says. First of all, our whole being is applied in worship to God. Our whole person is applied. 
And secondly, the external exercise of our body helps the weakness of our mind. So again, our bodies are helping our heart and our mind to do what we want, to worship, to kneel, to reverence. Sometimes I wish we had kneeling benches in our church. That's why you got to actually sit in the front pew so you can do more of these embodied actions. There's room here, okay? Next week, come on up front. All these embodied acts, they work with our minds and our hearts and our emotions, helping us enter into the fullness of praise because this is what we're made for. This is what we're meant for, to worship and praise our God. So, people of God, delight in your beautiful God. Praise him, stand in awe of him, glorify him, honor him, exalt him, adore him, body and soul, heart and mind, because the Lord is worthy to receive all our glory, honor, and praise. And let's do that in a prayer right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, beautiful Son, Spirit, Holy Spirit of light and truth, you, God, are like a deep ocean into which the more we enter in, the deeper we dive in, the more we find, the more we know of you, the more there is to to praise you for. There is no bottom that we're going to hit, no limit And this presents a dilemma because in such overwhelming presence of you, God, it silenced and hushed awe seems like the most appropriate thing to do. And yet if we remain quiet, the very rocks are going to cry out. And so, God, we praise you. We cry out our praise and worship and adoration. It is your love that calls out our voices of praise. We love you, Lord God. We adore you. We worship you. We bow down before you. Praise and glory be to you, God, our Savior, forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, honor, strength, glory, and praise. To you, God, who sits on the throne, to you, Jesus, to you, Holy Spirit, be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.